Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. Doesn't matter how anonymous you are when browsing the heroin store if you have to purchase all of your smack via a credit card that is tied to your name, address, and social security number. That is the most frequent problem I have when I enter the heroin store. I would like three heroines, please. <laughs> Ship it first class mail to John Smith at 187 Arrest Me Drive. <laughs> So the last few subjects have been a photo finish okay. in the Discord. It's been very close, mm-hmm. and I've had to like rally the troops to break the tie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is not the case no? this time. This was a runaway victory. Oh, overwhelming victory. Okay. And I was happy. This is the one I was rooting for because I know a lot about this. So buckle up. This is going to be a long episode. Prepare for neckbeard. Yes. Okay. I don't know if we're going to go full nerd out on this, but it's more just there's a lot to the story, and it's just a long story. Okay, okay. And, you know, we could skim over it, but then you wouldn't get the experience. That's not really our style. Yeah. Yeah. So we have covered this briefly in the past, but there is a difference between the deep web and the dark web. Right. For this episode, I listened to a podcast that mostly consisted of a summary of a book that I had also read, and which I highly recommend, called American Kingpin, The Epic Hunt for the Criminal Mastermind Behind the Silk Road. Great book. Okay. The host of that podcast, however, was very confused about the difference between deep and dark. And it bothered me to no end. I was grinding my teeth listening to this, but I don't know why I listened to all of it, except that I think I was angry and wanted to see how many times he would screw this up. Right. I, I can already see you, like, OCD obsessing over it. Like, he, every time he says it, your claws come out. There's scars in your coffee table. Like, I'm sure you were clawing things, I'm sure. I was super triggered Yeah. this podcast. <laughs> I, like, I get it. Words are hard. Right. You know? <laughs> Word make Dewey not good. But they do matter. They do. Get they them do. right. Yes. If you're going to do a whole fucking podcast about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The deep web refers to areas of the internet that aren't publicly available. They are not indexed by standard search engines. Right. If you log into an email provider or like your Netflix account or your bank to just check your balance, any type of portal for an organization, all of that is the deep web. Basically, anything that you can't access just by Googling or Mm. a direct link, Mm. that's the deep web. Okay. Which means that what we think of as the regular web is comparatively tiny. Yeah. In fact, the deep web is estimated to be some 500 times larger than the standard web. Right. It always reminds me of, uh, since you've explained this on the other uh, on our other episode, I can't remember which one it was, the, uh, remember in Snow Crash where they're talking about the digital environment and how, like, the main street, the main, main, main part of the main street was really small, comparatively. It sounds right. In fact, I think of the more cliched iceberg analogy right right? right. like the what you see on above is the regular web if you're on the gmail homepage, Mm -hmm. that's the regular web as soon as you log into your email and start checking your email you're now in the deep web Hmm. the dark web on the other hand is a subset of the deep web that can only be accessed via special tools like the tor browser which we will cover momentarily Mm -hmm. unlike the massive deep web the dark web itself makes up just a small fraction of the internet And the defining characteristic of the dark web is anonymity. When you use special tools or a specific browser to access the dark web, your goal is to mask your identity and conceal your online activity from anyone who might be watching or tracking, whether that be law enforcement, the government, corporations, maybe even a nosy roommate or family member. Okay. It's like, Mom. Mom, trying to buy crack. Fuck off. (laughs) Trying to buy Taiwanese hookers. Leave me alone. Ross Ulbricht was born in 1984 and raised in Austin, Texas. His parents were relatively well-off. They owned and operated property down in Costa Rica, which provided their primary income. Cocaine. And Ulbricht lived a privileged life. Mostly it was like actual uh, property. They were renting it out. They had houses and things. But Ulbricht lived a very privileged life, traveling extensively. He got to spend a lot of time in, as you might imagine, Costa Rica. I was waiting for you to be like, as as you might imagine, Nigeria. What? So he attended the University of Dallas on a full scholarship and graduated with a degree in physics in 2006. He's a smart guy. Okay. He proposed to his girlfriend at the time. She thanked him for the offer and explained that she had been seeing other people and graciously declined. These are lies. No, that's what happened. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I don't can know never if it tell was... anymore, dude. You say <laughs> lies with such like even keeled calmness that like when you when you say something that's just that banal, I'm just like. And no, not buying it. She shot him in the foot with something. What happened? No, that is absolutely what happened. I, I, the only I said she graciously declined. I don't know if it was gracious or not. Maybe she was just like, nah, <laughs> nope. please. You know what? Uh, thanks for the offer. I'm gonna just uh, keep boning hot dudes. <laughs> so, 
It's really tempting, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe she was super mean, but at least she did not lead him on. Okay. What I said, the basics of what I said is certainly true. Okay. So Ross seemed a bit lost after his declined proposal. He tried out for the amazing race with his sister, the television show, and was rejected all over again. <laughs> I'm sensing a pattern. I'm sorry. I just I want to laugh at this guy. That has to sting. Yeah. He's rejected by a girlfriend and then by a race. Two for two. Rejected by an inanimate object. Not even an object, an activity. It, it, rejected. More of a concept, really. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All of race was like, no, no. We don't believe you would actually live. Pass. Hard pass. So instead of pursuing his reality TV dreams, he settled for attending Penn State on yet another full scholarship where he pursued a graduate degree in engineering and crystallography, working on solar cells, etc., and studying the structure and uh, chemical makeup of crystals okay see that that i thought he was taking a hard fucking left from physics he was like <laughs> so i found this hippie program they're like totally into crystals but ross would never use his degree in any meaningful way he gave up on studying crystalline structures immediately after finishing his grad degree hmm. seems like the only thing ross acquired at penn state was a deeply shitty belief system oh fun he became increasingly libertarian and obsessed with the idea of personal freedom and unfettered capitalism. Wow. He began referring to the government only as the thieves, you know, because they steal your money in the form of taxes and use it for liberal handouts like roads and bridges and fire departments and medical care for old people and the entire U.S. military. Mm. But Ross's anger toward the government was especially severe in the arena of drug enforcement. And I kind of share his anger. We both do, kind of. I wouldn't say that I agree with Ross. I would say that our philosophies somewhat align on mm. one particular issue. Yeah. This is another topic that we have covered extensively. Yes. I don't do any drugs. I don't even drink alcohol. But the war on drugs has been just a massive failure. And anyone who argues against that, I, I don't know how to relate to them. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's so dumb it makes you physically reset. You're like, what? And then I think we just have to argue about the specifics. Like, the war on drugs doesn't work, but should we legalize everything and make it street legal so that, you know, anyone can make it in their bathtub, or should we put regulations on it? And I think Ross would say, hey, everyone should be able to sell anything out of their frickin' van, and I'm saying we should legalize these things so that they can be regulated and be safer. And also be taxed, because there's a lot of money exactly. to be made off of this shit. Right. And Ross would not agree with that. Yeah, well, Rob can go fucking <laughs> I have opinions. That's all he can do now. He can't, can't fuck anyone else. Yeah, man. Not voluntarily. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Yes. Unfortunately for Ross, a drug-selling website didn't seem feasible at the time. So he bided his time running an online bookstore called Good Wagon Books. Hmm. An online used bookstore based out of a giant warehouse. Super original idea. It's weird. It's almost like he got that from somewhere else or someone got that from him. I, I don't know. I have trouble with history. But Good Wagon Books was not growing at a Bezos clip. And Ross became increasingly desperate to get his drug deal on. And that's when he learned about a technology known at the time as the onion router. That doesn't actually involve onions, right? It involves metaphorical onion. Okay. Tor, T-O-R, the onion router, is open source technology that was created in the 90s by the U.S. military and is now publicly available. Okay. And by the way, the fact that it's open source is especially important because that means that if any nefarious entity or government organization tries to mess with the code or insert some type of vulnerability or backdoor, anyone can see it and raise the alarm. Hmm. The technology works somewhat differently these days than it used to, but the original idea is that the Tor browser sets up its own network. It uses specific volunteer computers as nodes and routes traffic through those specific computers. Hmm. And every piece of information is bundled within multiple layers of encryption. And this is going to get a little nerdy. Just press fast forward for like 30, 45 seconds if you're not into this. Okay. And please do dumb it down for me because otherwise you're going to see my eyes cross and glaze over. I think I've made it pretty accessible. Mm -hmm. And this stuff is very interesting to me, but you're probably going to hate it. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Just go to your happy place. So let's say you want to send an encrypted message over Tor. When you click send, the Tor technology quickly determines the path your information is going to take, and it wraps your message up in a spiderweb of layered encryption, like an onion with your message at the center. Mm. So it's like a spiderweb onion. I should, I should pick an analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Choose one. Like a, like a peanut M&M wrapped in a spiderweb with an onion at the center? No, wait. I think I'll go with the onion analogy <laughs> since that's, yeah. you know, yeah. in the name. 
So your message moves to the first node. And remember, these nodes are just individual computers. Right. And that first computer decrypts the first layer of information, which reveals the next node in the chain. Mm. Now the computer knows which node in the chain to send the message to. The node knows. The node always knows. So to recap, each computer on the path is only aware of the previous node and the next node, but none of them know where the message came from or where it's going. You said node knows and no, like there was a lot of no, 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 no in there. No, 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 hey, 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 on yawn. This analogy is almost over. Oh, God. So if the message were intercepted, there would be no way to determine its sender or recipient. Mm. And the message continues on its path with more layers being stripped away until the message reaches its destination and the final layer of encryption is removed, allowing the receiver to access the message at the delicious center of that onion. Nom, 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 nom. Delicious onion, onion center. center. <laughs> Melts in your mouth. The metaphor is still not great. Yeah, it's a bit clunky. The spiderweb wouldn't have worked any better there either. <laughs> the delicious center of the spiderweb? I don't know how many spiderwebs you're snacking on. So with the onion router, Ross Ulbrecht had found a solution for the problem of anonymity when browsing the web and communicating with potential buyers and dealers. Hmm. The next issue to tackle was payment. Hmm. It doesn't matter how anonymous you are when browsing the heroin store if you have to purchase all of your smack via a credit card that is tied to your name, address, and social security number. That is the most frequent problem I have when I enter the heroin store. I would like three heroines, please. <laughs> Ship it first class mail to John Smith at 187 Arrest Me Drive. <laughs> so enter Bitcoin. And lucky for you, we have the great episode on Bitcoin. I don't need to do that whole hour-long spiel. Not ever again. <laughs> I think it's one of our best episodes, personally, just because I feel like it gives a really comprehensive view of the history and science behind cryptocurrency. I highly recommend that you check out that episode and then come back to this one if you're not familiar with Bitcoin. Word. But the bottom line is that the onion router and Bitcoin were the secret sauce combo that made the Silk Road happen. Yes, indeed. For all of the supposed genius of Ross Ulbricht, all he really did in 2010 was leverage two existing technologies, and he didn't even use them in a particularly novel way because there were other wannabe digital Tony Montanas already hawking drugs via tour. He hmm. wasn't the first. Really? Okay. It's just that Ulbrecht's platform was more ambitious, and it took off before anyone else's did. Hmm. But to give Ross his due, there were plenty of challenges that came with creating a digital marketplace on the dark web. And if you think about it, he had to do it completely by himself. Hmm. It's not like he could post an ad on LinkedIn. <laughs> Seeking to hire programmers for illicit drug trade service on dark web. Snitches and informants need not apply. <laughs> Stitches and Ross. Ross actually did end up reaching out to an old college friend named Richard Bates to help him with some of the coding for what he described as a secret site. How the fuck did he pitch that? Like, yeah, there's going to be drugs and women, not all of them free. So the Silk Road would be built on a foundation of shit. I'm sorry, could you say that again? To be more specific, cow shit. Ah. And to be even more specific, I like how you're like, ah, oh, ah that makes, makes total sense. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say more. <laughs> and to be even more specific, the Silk Road was built on the mushrooms that grow on cow shit. Ah, we are talking about silly sibins. Since Ross didn't have access to any actual drugs, nor any drug dealers for his site, he bought a book called, and I am not making this up, The Construction and Operation of Clandestine Drug Laboratories. <laughs> Written by your friendly buddy, Uncle Sam which provided instructions for setting up a large indoor magic mushroom farm. And yes, you can buy drug dealing for dummies, apparently. <laughs> dummies are very well catered to in American society. Uh, I feel like that's, you know, a, a large chunk of our population. Well, if you self-identify as a dummy, there are so many people who want to help you learn about the stock market or whatever. Yeah. You have lots of options. Oh, so many. Although I think if you self-identify as a dummy, maybe stay out of the stock market and also drug dealing. <laughs> Or, you know, continue on both and just see how it goes for you. I don't know. I want to watch. Into, <laughs> Who doesn't like a dumpster fire? <laughs> get into politics. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. So Ross invested $17,000 to get his mushroom farm up and running in a big warehouse packed with long wooden shelves. Mm. Keep in mind that he was doing this in Texas, where the drug laws are borderline Orwellian. Mm. The punishment at the time was up to 99 years for a few hundred grams of shrooms. Ross's first harvest would be around 100 pounds. Ooh. There are a lot of people who have tried to justify what Ulbricht created and his role in the running of the site, painting the attempted murders that we will get to 
as the product of an unstoppable freight train that Ross hadn't anticipated and couldn't slow down. Hmm. But I think it's important to understand that Ross knew exactly what he's getting into. He didn't just start as some innocent, nerdy coder. He dove directly into online criminality right off the bat as a large-volume drug dealer. Yeah, or at least a large-volume drug producer. No, he was dealing. He was the first seller on his site. Oh, wow, okay. And maybe magic mushrooms seem harmless. I can assure you they are not necessarily. They can be. Any drug can be harmless if taken in small doses, like, responsibly, but... Yeah, and, you know, recent research is actually being done on the efficacy against, you know, bipolar or massive major depression, schizophrenia, things like that. They might be therapeutic. Yeah. In certain quantities. Called microdosing for a reason. Certain circumstances. Yeah. But fucking with the integrity of your brain is scary, especially when you're winging it. Yep. Trust me, I know this from experience. I've heard the stories. And Ross was fully aware that he'd be selling powerful hallucinogens anonymously to anyone on the internet who had a couple spare Bitcoin. He wasn't checking IDs. (laughs) By January 2011, Ross had harvested and tested his product Hmm. for quality control. Of course. Ross finally launched the Silk Road in February 2011. And oh, by the way, as soon as the site went live, he told his girlfriend Julia everything. Which, you know, is a good way to keep a secret, I've found. The confession would not end up being his downfall, but it does indicate the level of super criminal mastermind we're talking about here. Yeah. So far, he had already leaked incriminating info to his college buddy and his girlfriend, and the website had not been live for 24 hours. (laughs) Within weeks, Ross would find that he needed even more help from his buddy Richard and would confess everything to his friend. So pretty soon he had two people who could take him down at any moment. Jesus. From week one, the Silk Road began to grow at an unprecedented rate, faster than any internet unicorn startup, but it was initially a bare-bones operation on every level. When it first launched, the site was as basic as a Britney Spears playlist. If you wanted to find some drugs, there was literally a big green link on the Silk Road that said, I kid you not, drugs. I mean, why candy it up, man? You're here for a reason. Simplicity in advertising. It's right there. Yeah. And then there were subcategories, and under hallucinogens, you would find the only product that was currently available, uh, Ross's mushrooms. Hmm. Hmm. To spread the word about the site and drive traffic to the dark web, Ross had registered anonymously for a bunch of drug forums and posted under different pseudonyms with quips like, What an awesome thread. You guys have a ton of great ideas. Has anyone seen the Silk Road yet? (laughs) Subtle. Yeah, yeah. So Ross Ulbricht posted on a bunch of different forums under a bunch of different pseudonyms, including a forum called The Shroomery, using the pseudonym Altoid. Make note of that. Okay. But his anonymous posts seemed to work, and both clients and drug dealers began to migrate to the site. Hmm. So another idea that Ross did not come up with but uh, was smart enough to steal was the concept of allowing purchasers to leave eBay-style reviews for drug dealers. Hmm. Reviews determined the seller's score, known as karma points, which is interesting verbiage. Yeah. Actually, karma was probably an appropriate name for a supposed system of accountability that has no real-world repercussions. <laughs> Spirituality burn. And there are far too many terrible people prospering in this world mm. for me to believe in karma. With you. So Ross's random spam posts generated some traffic, but the real tsunami of publicity didn't kick off until a Gawker reporter got wind of the site and began corresponding with Ross for an upcoming article. The article would eventually be published under the title, The Underground Website Where You Can Buy Any Drug Imaginable. And it began with the infamous quote, Making small talk with your pot dealer sucks. Buying cocaine can get you shot. What if you could buy and sell drugs online like books or light bulbs? Now you can. Welcome to Silk Road. Hmm. The response to the article was overwhelming in every sense of the word. Obviously, it drove a ton of traffic to the site, but it also drove plenty of the wrong kind of traffic. Law enforcement and politicians had taken notice. Senator Chuck Schumer gave an entire speech about the Silk Road to members of the press in which he noted how terrible it was that you could purchase drugs like cannabis and ecstasies online. Ecstasies multiple, not Mm. ecstasy one. Yeah. Mm. You can purchase ecstasies online, but I think those are different sites. Yeah. I've been mentioning those since the beginning of the episode. We got it. So Ross's girlfriend, Julia, was shocked to find that Ross's little online hobby had become a national scandal. And they were living together at this point, and the sudden media spotlight put a lot of pressure on the relationship. Mm. Soon they were constantly fighting. Julia would demand that Ross shut down the site. He would refuse. She was particularly alarmed by the expansion of the Silk Road from mushrooms into other illegal areas, hardcore drugs like heroin, designer drugs, and guns. Fun. 
What possible good reason could someone have for buying a gun anonymously, she asked. And what happens if a kid OD'd on heroin or some crazy-ass horse tranquilizer purchased on the site? Hey, Special K is totally safe. Ross always had an answer steeped in libertarian rhetoric. Mm. He would point out that the site had implemented a rating system so that drug dealers would be incentivized to sell quality product. And she would respond, how are they going to give someone a bad review if they're dead? <laughs> uh, hardcore logic. So weird. Solid point. Yes. And even if you're not dead, as we mentioned before, is that something you're really going to be thinking about in the hospital after you like OD on a bad trip? Just <laughs> as soon as my liver starts functioning properly and I get out of this ICU, I'm going to give that anonymous heroin dealer a sternly worded review. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> Nurse rolls up. Wait, you want me to do what now? Write you a Yelp review for your drug dealer. No, that's not going to happen. Eat your pudding. Julia also expressed her fears for Ross's safety and for his future, warning him, you're going to end up in jail for the rest of your life. Ding, ding, ding. Prophetic. <laughs> Ross would blow her off, just explaining that he was protected by the magical anonymity of Tor and Bitcoin, mm. neither of which he had created nor fully understood. Meanwhile, his own coding limitations on the Silk Road were becoming painfully apparent, mm. with the Gawker article and the Chuck Schumer effect resulting in a flood of new users. Some of the site's inherent weaknesses were suddenly exposed. The many and varied coding mistakes that Ross had unintentionally woven into the fabric of the Silk Road began to spring up like leaks in the pirate ship, and he spent entire days putting out metaphorical fires at his computer, often without showering for weeks on end and frequently sitting at the computer naked. This sounds totally healthy. I don't know what their problem is. It's a great sign for your mental health. Yeah. When you cease bathing and wearing clothes. <laughs> Stressed and fed up, Julia eventually confessed everything to her friend Erica. Hmm. So now we have expanded the number of people who can take Ross down by a third. Yay. Once again, the operational security on this whole endeavor, super tight. She then broke up with Ross... Then Erica had a bad trip on acid that she had bought from the Silk Road. The three of them eventually had a big blow-up, a big argument, which culminated in Erica posting a message on Ross's Facebook wall, quote, I'm sure the authorities would like to know about Ross Ulbricht's drug website. Hmm. So this should have been the come-to-Jesus moment. Right. Ross quickly deleted the post, but he should have immediately realized how tenuous his empire truly was. Right. He had created a precarious house of digital cards, and the entire structure was one Facebook post away from tumbling down. Ross did realize that he needed to make some significant life changes. He did not quit the Silk Road, and he did not reform the site, but he did flee to Australia to live with his sister. Okay. I'm pretty sure Australia has some drug laws, too, though. It wasn't a cure-all. <laughs> wasn't a panacea, really? Hmm. Yeah, it was kind of like he and his sister were collaborating on an amazing race after all. <laughs> oh, God, no. Except way less fun and with way worse potential consequences. Yeah, yeah. Running, a lot more jail, a lot less money. Running from law enforcement is indeed an amazing race. Yeah. In Australia, Ross found some peace and serenity. He began meditating and showering occasionally. Mm. He also doubled down on the website. Good, good. He began corresponding with some of the most successful dealers on the Silk Road, including a former prisoner and hardened criminal who went by the name Variety Jones. VJ would become Ross's right-hand man, and at one point he would remind Ross that what they were doing fell under American kingpin laws, which could qualify perpetrators for the death penalty. Fun. Ross's response, quote, Balls to the wall and all in, my friend. It sounds whiter than hell when he says it too. <laughs> Jesus. VJ suggested that Ross, who had been going by the moniker Silk Road or just Admin, adopt a new persona, hmm. one that would rally the troops and convey a sense of danger with a tongue-in-cheek roguishness. Hmm. He told Ross to call himself the Dread Pirate Roberts. Oh, boy. I'm sure you're familiar. What do you know about the DPR? <laughs> well, I know he rolled with Wu-Tang for a while. Uh, no. If you don't know about the Princess Bride, you have no soul. Okay, so the Dread Pirate Roberts is a character from the Princess Bride who went through iterations. So in other words, he was not one person. He was a tradition. Mm. He was a person who over time would then give up his empire as being a pirate 
and he would hand it to, off to someone else, and that person would become the Dread Pirate Roberts. The old Dread Pirate Roberts would then go and retire, and the new Dread Pirate Roberts would continue the tradition. Yes. So as the site grew at a staggering pace, and Ross's bank account swelled into the millions, stresses began to mount even more. Ross created graphs to illustrate the state of the site's financials and couldn't believe its exponential growth. Every line on every graph was up and to the right. <laughs> Ross was now a multimillionaire running a corporation by himself without an HR department or accounting department or even a secretary. <laughs> the stress was getting to him. He began chewing his fingernails from anxiety and reduced his cuticles to ragged, bloody shreds. There were constant crises to contend with, constant problems with buggy code, hacking attacks and missing Bitcoin and squabbles among the drug dealers, and hanging over it all, the ultimate threat of exposure and incarceration. Yikes. Who could he trust? Everyone on the site was anonymous. Everyone was lying to protect themselves, just like he was. Right. It's like trying to make friends with a bunch of people who are, as dictated by the circumstances, not allowed to be honest with each other. Yeah, or, you know, trying to make friends with a bunch of great white sharks. Hey, buddy. Who's my buddy? Yeah. You Give have, me back my arm. Not only do you have no idea whether or not those people have your best interest at heart, you have no idea who they are. They could be law enforcement, mm. and everything they say is suspect. Yeah. And they all have ulterior motives. Yeah, so basically it's super, super healthy, you know, supportive work environment where you can really grow as a person and, and really feel your oats and, and really discover yourself. They should have had an HR department. That oh, would have been dude. great. Dude. I would love to be the HR director for the Silk Road. Johnny, I want you to use I statements. I am sorry I cut out your tongue. <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. I'm going to kill you is an I statement. <laughs> We're not really using the right tone, I feel. And for Ross, there was nowhere to hide. The website was operating internationally, which meant that Ross was a wanted fugitive in almost every country on Earth. Wow. He had set the Silk Road in motion, and now it was snowballing. But despite the illegal nature of the business, it was still fundamentally a for-profit business. Mm -hmm. At one point, Ross even engineered a version of Amazon Prime Day hmm. on 420, of course, offering deep discounts on drugs, just like the discounts on Black Friday TV sales. <laughs> now, there is a Black Friday sale like Riot I want to see. <laughs> that shit is like Hunger Games on crack. <laughs> oh, wait. It is on crack. It's a tweaker stampede. <laughs> That is the worst kind of stampede. Woohoo! At least, at least if they run over you, they're very light. Yeah, <laughs> they, they're you don't not. get a lot of heavy tweakers. You get a lot of obese tweakers. Yeah, that is so terrible to like. Not only be trying to get people to do drugs and buy drugs from you, but also like incentivize them to buy more drugs than they even wanted to buy. Yeah, like, I came here for a dime bag, man. I didn't want a kilo. Fuck. Yeah, like, it's already, I mean, you could argue whether maybe you should give people what they want, but the idea of, like, pushing more of something that you know is bad for them onto them. Uh, like, yeah, I realize you're a struggling junkie who came to this site looking for a modest amount of heroin to feed your spiraling addiction, but have you considered instead a fatal dose? <laughs> have you considered instead a fatal dose for you and perhaps your friend? We would like to suggest that you purchase an unreasonable amount of drugs. If there was even a reasonable amount to begin with. Right. For anyone who idolizes this guy, and a lot of people do, he was by now allowing guns, poisons, date rape drugs, and explosives on his site to be sold to anyone who happened to have enough Bitcoin. When one of the administrators contacted him, uh, alarmed because a seller was offering human kidneys and livers, Ross's response was, quote, as long as the source consents, then it's okay. Morals are easy when you understand the non-aggression principle. Wow. Which is exactly the kind of freedom above all bullshit that I despise. Just no one consents to sell their liver on a black market. And if they do, it's because they're so desperate for money that it would be a farce to call that consent. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyone consents to give up their kidney when you've got a gun in their face. <laughs> <laughs> That's why sex trafficking is illegal. It's like even if a woman consents to be sexually exploited, she's consenting out of desperation. Right. People say yes to a lot of things they don't want to do. And that's why we've created laws to determine when consent is the result of coercion. <sighs> I know. <laughs> for, for those of you who can't see Shane, as I can, there are, there's waves of frustration coming off the man. I am getting off my soapbox. Yeah, you're not, though. No promises that I won't climb back on. I'm going to say. Yeah. Because, you know what? Fuck this guy. A lot. Despite his staunch freedom is king stance, Ross did create rules for the site. And Ross's rules were as simple as they were hypocritical and inconsistent. Fun. No child pornography, no assassinations, 
no stolen personal information, uh, because Ross's libertarian viewpoint was encapsulated by the slogan, mind your own business and don't bother or harm other people. Yet he allowed the purchase of untraceable guns that could be used to harm other people and hacking tools that were built to steal people's personal information. And let's not forget explosives, which don't seem to really care who's in the blast radius. They will just powder your organs and bone. And he banned assassinations, which is ironic because, as we will quickly learn, uh, Ross wasn't great at following that particular rule. Did I mention fuck this guy? Yes, yes. Okay. I believe that was in there somewhere. <laughs> if you'd like to say it again, I'm sure as the editor you can put it all throughout. The, you could loop that bitch like a track on here. Go ahead. We should. <laughs> fuck this dude. Fuck this dude. Dude, get, fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Would you believe I used to be a musician? So around this time, the site became the target of an only loosely coordinated but very intense law enforcement campaign involving various agencies from the FBI to the DEA to the IRS. Hmm. This was when a user calling himself Knob began reaching out to the Dread Pirate Roberts, claiming he was a big-time drug smuggler who was interested in buying the site. In reality, Knob was a DEA agent named Carl Force. Remember that name. Carl Force, got it. So Ross declined the offer of uh, purchasing his site, but the two began corresponding regularly. Knob hmm. frequently complained to Dread Pirate Roberts about the small fry nature of most drug transactions on the site, and he offered to prove his bona fides via a large cocaine transaction. DPR, I'm going to just go Dread Pirate, this is easier. Hmm. DPR put him in touch with one of the administrators of the site, known by his moniker Chronic Pain, and the three began negotiating the deal. At which point Chronic Pain gave the agent his actual goddamn home address. Again, operational security. Not something these people seem really clear about. Chronic Pain was quickly and quietly apprehended and turned out to be a 47-year-old family man named Curtis Clark Green. And this regular-ass dude had administrator access to the site, which allowed him to retrieve and move around bitcoins, hmm. other people's money. He also was someone who suffered from chronic pain. It's kind of hard because this he's kind of a tragic figure. He's a pretty sad dude. He was really overweight and kind of uh, had some health issues. Yeah. And so he was buying a lot of like medications on the site. So it was kind of sad because he was actually sort of self-medicating, but had become like an extreme addict through that. So, mm. you know, it shows kind of both sides of the site. Right. Like you could use the site to get things that you needed, but you could also then become an abuser because there were no limits on that. Right. No doctor was telling you, hey, maybe... You know, scale back. Hey, 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 buddy, buddy. Uh, maybe not all the Vicodin. Yeah. <laughs> if you're uh, chewing the pills, you, you've gone a little far. It's a warning sign, I feel. Yeah. yeah. I like to just uh, chop up all my medications and uh, funnel them directly into my urethra. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I was like, this is going to come down to sounding somehow. You miserable fucker. That's so gross. So within days, a Bitcoin account to which Curtis had access was suddenly drained of $300,000. Dread Pirate Roberts found the record of Curtis's arrest and began to suspect that chronic pain had gone rogue and was stealing money and drugs while working for the feds. Dread Pirate Roberts asked Knob to intimidate Green. So he asked the cop who had busted Green to further intimidate Green. He was already intimidated. Right. DPR wanted Green beaten senseless and he wanted photographic proof. At least that was his first request. Hmm. In Ross's mind, both his safety and property had been compromised. Hmm. The strongest possible reaction was justified. After all, if he allowed Curtis Green to get away with just a slap on the wrist or, you know, the face or skull or whatever. Kneecaps or whatever, yeah. Wouldn't he ultimately be undermining his own status as the ruthless leader of a drug cartel? He needed to make an example of Curtis Green. Hmm. Green needed to die. I mean, yeah, but... Maybe choose your friends a little more clearly. Like, didn't he have VJ for that? Why would he choose Knob? Like, if some guy comes up to me like, hi, I'm Cockhead. Do you want to be my friend and have me sell you lots of cocaine? Ooh, and also I can kill a friend for you. I'm like, no, Cockhead. No, no, I don't want that. You base your judgment of uh, someone's character on their username? Yes. You should probably stay out of our Discord. I, I've been trying to, but there's this kid named Lost Windigo who really needs my help. I mean, he's lost. <laughs> And he's on the Discord, and he can't seem to find his way home. I just want him to be okay. Little did Ross know that the man that he was asking and eventually paying to authorize the hit on Curtis Green, Knob, a.k.a. Agent Carl Force, <laughs> was at that very moment sitting in an interrogation room across from Curtis Green. He was on his laptop communicating with Dread Pirate Roberts during the interrogation. Mm. Carl was especially shocked to learn from Dread Pirate Roberts that Curtis had been gutsy enough to steal from the Silk Road 
equally shocked was Curtis himself. <laughs> because Curtis had not stolen anything. Right. And the real perpetrator would only be unmasked in the aftermath of the Silk Road's downfall. Hmm. The true perpetrator was, in fact, the other man in the room that day with Carl Force and Curtis Green. His name was Agent Sean Bridges, and he had used Carl's login to siphon off hundreds of thousands of dollars of Bitcoin. Wow. But in the meantime, Carl Force, you know, all you can think of now is Carlos Danger. Danger Wiener? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Carl Danger Wiener Force. That's oh, oh, all I can oh Force of Wiener. <laughs> <laughs> How do you? No, no, no. But that's you know because there's there's like a gaggle of geese. There's a force of wieners. That makes sense. Yeah, I buy it. Hmm. So Carl Danger Wiener Force decided to take advantage of Dread Pirate Robert's furious anger. <laughs> he desired great vengeance and furious anger <laughs> on those who attempt to poison my brothers. Furious anger is redundant, by the way. Yeah, you don't need to. <sighs> yeah, I'm angry and also very angry. I have angry anger. That's essentially what you're saying. I, I guess it would be, I'm very angry and also angry. So anyway, he decided to take advantage of Dread Pirate Robert's anger to stage a murder. Hmm. Agents Carl and Sean convinced the very reluctant, suddenly, Curtis Green to let them improvise a torture scene and then a murder. Okay. Curtis was taken to a hotel and filmed while police officers who were acting as hitmen repeatedly and violently forced his head underwater in the bathtub. I wonder why he was uh, not quite on board with this. It seems weird. They're like, don't be a bitch. <laughs> don't punk out on me now, bro. Real men can take some bathwater dunking. This is like basically inverted waterboarding. Yeah. Agent Sean Bridges, by the way, did not stick around for the torture scene. He excused himself, not due to an attack of conscience, but so that he could log on once again into Curtis's account and siphon away even more Bitcoin while Curtis sputtered and cried and pleaded through his fake murder ordeal. What I love is it's fake torture and murder. No, bro, you're you're actually torturing him. Yeah. It's just the, fake murder. Yeah. Yeah, the first part, totally real. That's full torture and just, like, you know, stopping shy of murder. Yeah. That's what that is. The cops finally took a photo of Curtis playing dead with fake blood and vomit leaking from his mouth and sent it to Dread Pirate Roberts as evidence of the successful hit. Ross Ulbricht kept the photo. Hmm. Over the following months, Carl Danger Wiener Force became increasingly close to DPR mm. and eventually offered to put him in touch with what he described as a corrupt rogue agent who could supposedly give Ross information from the inside of the investigation. Carl then deleted those portions of the chat from the official DEA logs mm. and moved to an encrypted channel. And in this new invisible channel, inaccessible to the feds, Carl began feeding Ross genuine information about the case. Oh, shit. So that's two corrupt cops. <laughs> On the same DEA team. Jesus. So Danger Wiener revealed that the authorities had taken advantage of sloppy coding to locate the official Silk Road servers in Iceland. Hmm. Detectives had not been able to recover any identifiable info, but they had learned that the server was dubbed Frosty, and they were closer to DPR than they had ever been. Hmm. Dread Pirate Roberts began paying Carl Danger Wiener for information, transferring large sums of money to his encrypted accounts. Wow. Agent Carl Force had now officially become double agent knob. <laughs> danger wiener Carl Force, Force knob. knob. <laughs> double danger Force knob. <laughs> Both Sean Bridges and Carl Force would eventually plead guilty to stealing a fortune of Bitcoin and would both receive prison sentences of around uh, six years each. That's all. For yeah. violating all of your all oaths. All of your oaths. Undermining your coworkers and fellow officers. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that to me is, is that kind of ranks up there with, with high treason. Like, at that point, dude, no. Everyone in this story sucks. Yeah, there's Just no... Not, no one is not complicit. Even fucking Julia. How did she manage to not end up in jail, by the way? She, I totally left him. As soon as I found out he was selling psilocybin to 14-year-olds, I was like, I'm out. Yeah. But you, just leaving doesn't absolve you. If I witness a murder and then I walk away and I'm like, I'm out, like, yeah. I still have an obligation. Father Lucas, you should really stop touching the boys. All right, I'm a dip. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're, you're complicit in that pedophilia now. She knew the whole time and she never turned him in. Ross had at one point told her that he had quit the Silk Road, but then she caught him later on the site. She fucking knew. And even if she thought that he had quit the site that's a great time to turn him in because then he probably won't do as much time and you can at least get this fucking thing shut down yeah 
Meanwhile, Dread Pirate Roberts was fighting new digital battles on almost every front. Hackers attempted to extort Ulbricht with compromising information, threatening to dox members of the site, which would potentially have a chilling effect on both dealers and customers and could lead to a mass exodus. Mm. Ulbricht, spiraling into paranoia and increasingly absorbed by this new persona of the Dread Pirate Roberts, would eventually pay over $700,000 for additional assassinations that he arranged through intermediaries, targeting at least four other members of the Silk Road who had run afoul of DPR. Hmm. It was later discovered that none of these hits actually came to fruition. Weird. Just like the feds had done, the supposed hitmen staged the assassinations to separate this wannabe cartel leader from his money. Ross was a sucker. Ross was a jackass trying to play at friggin' Cowboys and in Like, what the hell are you doing, dude? Seriously? Yeah, I mean, that doesn't change the fact that he was a sucker who believed that he had arranged the assassination of five people at this point. Right. It doesn't absolve him of the, the, you know, moral sociopathy that he was under, suffering under, but he's still a jackass. Like, I don't don't play a video game and then think I can play with swords. Like, it's not a thing that goes through my mind. Yeah, I mean, this was the most inept version of being a cartel leader. Like, it was like he was trying to act out what he had seen on TV or something. Right. You're this genius of digital manipulation, and you think that someone sending you a photograph of a dude laying down means that someone was actually killed. I don't know. Like, it's so funny how he was really smart in certain areas and just a complete idiot in quite a few others. I mean, I think fuckwit bears fruit in this particular... It's apt. Yeah. He had the wit of a fuck. I agree. Mm-hmm. And this was an interesting interpretation of libertarian philosophy. The whole uh, non-aggression principle seems to be kind of out the window. In this mm, yeah. Like most libertarians, I find their uh, commitment to the ethos a bit mm. squidgy. Can be. Mm. So you might be wondering how the feds have so much detail about these purported contract killings and all of the specifics of Ross's life. Mm. That's because Ross kept detailed journals. He believed himself to be a freedom fighter. He believed that the site was going to grow so big that the government would eventually surrender. Ross would defeat the war on drugs. Narcotics would be legalized. And Ross would emerge from the shadows victorious, a hero of the common people. Wait a second. I'm sorry. The government would surrender? (laughs) He's going to win. Dude, there have been world wars. You do remember history, right? There wasn't a whole lot of America surrendering anything. He was just waiting for like a DEA agent to show up who was waving a white flag and being like, you won this round, Ross. See, this is why, kids, you, you don't do too many hallucinogens. It, it tends to fuck with your ability <laughs> yeah, to is, judge reality correctly. This is your brain on mushrooms. <laughs> so, of course, because Ross was going to defeat the government and become a celebrity influencer of the drug market, uh, he decided that he had to record his every thought and action for posterity. Yes, uh, always a good philosophy when breaking the law in massive ways to record the evidence of your and plan to break said laws. Yeah, make sure you're as detailed as possible oh, yeah. and make sure you keep that on your laptop that is with you at all times on the same laptop uh, from which you are orchestrating said uh, illegality. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. What ultimately brought down the Dread Pirate Roberts was not any of the sophisticated sting operations, but a Google search. Wow. Independent of the FBI or DEA or any of the other premier law enforcement agencies, IRS agent Gary Alford began Googling for any references to the Silk Road that had taken place before the site actually launched. I'm sorry, I have to pause. He was taken down by a dude named Gary. Yeah, I mean, he was taken down by the IRS, which actually has been a thing. That's, yeah. uh, you know, if Capone, Capone, a lot of them. He got Caponed. Yep. Word. As so many have. You got caboned. <laughs> Did you say caboned? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll allow it. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> That's stupid. But I, I, I chuckled. He did. So Gary didn't find much, except a few random posts on a few random forums under a few different usernames. One of the posts was on a forum called the Shroomery mm. by a user named Altoid. Oh, Lord. Alfred Googled the username in the Tor format, silkroad.onion.altoid, which led him to yet another post with a similar format, Altoid once again gushing about the Silk Road and encouraging people to visit. The IRS agent was able to track down the email address that was used to register the Altoid account, frosty at frosty.com. Ring a bell? Yeah. When the detective dug even further, he learned that the email address had been modified. Before changing the address to frosty, Altoid had originally registered under the email rossolbrecht at gmail.com. 
Wiley Coyote, super genius. Oh, Lord. When Carl Danger Wiener Force learned that the feds were closing in on Dread Pirate Roberts. Remember, it's Double Danger Force, Dick Wiener, whatever now. Knob Danger Carl Wiener Force. Double Knob Danger Wiener Force. When he learned that the feds were closing in on Dread Pirate Roberts, he immediately realized that he was an extreme danger wiener. He had deleted all of his encrypted chats with Dread Pirate Roberts, but he had no guarantee that DPR had done the same on his end. Hmm. If the feds seized Dread Pirate Roberts' laptop, there was a good chance that Carl's goose was cooked. Yes. He began frantically contacting other departments, demanding access to the Iceland server, hoping to remotely destroy any evidence of his complicity. Hmm. But the feds were moving quickly. They had set up 24-hour surveillance on Ross, and they were able to verify that as Ross signed into his laptop and signed out, all of those logins coincided with the comings and goings of the Dread Pirate Roberts on the Silk Road. Yeah. They knew they had their man. Now they just needed to catch him red-handed. And they knew that the laptop was the key. They correctly guessed that Ross had programmed a kill switch for his laptop, a simple way of shutting it down and encrypting all of the information with a single keystroke. Hmm. Any attempt to prosecute Ross without the data on the laptop would result in a case that was based on nothing but circumstantial evidence. That would right. be tough to prove. Right. They needed to get the laptop when it was open, active, and logged into the admin area of the Silk Road. Hmm. And they needed to do it without allowing Ross to nuke the evidence with a single keystroke. On October 1st, 2013, Ross sat down in a library in San Francisco, opened his laptop, and logged into the Silk Road. Suddenly, he heard a woman curse loudly behind him and turned, startled, to witness a violent domestic disturbance. A man had his fist cocked, preparing to strike a slim Asian woman beside him. When Ross glanced instinctively back at his laptop, it was gone. And suddenly, the arguing couple apparently put their differences aside and united in a common goal. <laughs> they leapt at Ross, subdued him within moments, and placed him under arrest. <laughs> it's pretty slick. Yeah, I mean, really, really smart. Nice, good you know, so use of social programming and all that stuff. Yeah, That is straight up something you'd see in a spy film. Yeah. Ross remained calm and collected during the booking process. He demanded a lawyer, confident that his laptop was secure and that he would beat the charges. Even if the cops could prove that he was logged into the site, it didn't prove that he was the only person acting as Dread Pirate Roberts. Right. He was sure that the feds wouldn't be able to break into the rest of his incriminating files because he had encrypted the contents of the laptop with a super secure password, Purple Orange Beach. <laughs> Genius! Brilliant! Genius, I say! Three words, uh, no letters, no punctuation, no special characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it turned out the FBI did not even need to brute force Ross's super secure two adjectives and a noun passcode. Mm. They were able to retrieve his password from the laptop's RAM, and the computer spilled the vast majority of its contents. Uh. The Dread Pirate Roberts diaries, chat logs with the admins, encrypted file folders containing pictures of his supposed victims, and spreadsheets detailing the finances of the Silk Road. It was all there. Oh, no. Ulbricht was offered a plea deal of 10 years to life, which he promptly rejected. He was worried the judge might choose the latter. <laughs> Weird. The prosecution unveiled reams of damning chat logs, mountains of incriminating evidence, and paraded in front of the jury the families of drug purchasers who died due to ODing on hardcore narcotics from the Silk Road. Hmm. It took the jury just three hours to find Ross Ulbricht guilty on all counts. <laughs> the issue of privilege would rear its head again during the sentencing. Quote, Judge Catherine Forrest noted that the defense had presented research papers that argued that increased drug distribution could be morally better for society by reducing violence and encouraging the sale of better quality and therefore safer drugs. By this, Judge Forrest seemed incensed. It was as if Ross had been arguing that just because he sold drugs from behind a computer, he was different. She said, quote, No drug dealer from the Bronx selling meth or heroin or crack has ever made these kinds of arguments to the court. It is a privileged argument. You are no better a person than any other drug dealer, and your education does not give you a special place of privilege in our criminal justice system. Nice. Here, here. Golf clap. Preach. Ross Ulbricht is serving life in prison with no possibility of parole. <laughs> I, I do feel that's too much. <laughs> I just feel like he did not actually kill anyone, even if he thought he did. Okay. Ineptitude does not absolve one of desire and money and effort it absolves you of the crime like if i am too inept to shoot you right now like we're sitting three feet from each other if i have a why, gun why, why and you, i try to shoot you is this making you uncomfortable 
Yeah, the, the gun hand. And you, you were like, hey, best friend of so many fucking years, it's ridiculous. If I were just going to shoot you. Here's my thing, though. If I were to try to shoot you right now and I missed, you can't charge me with murder. You could charge me with attempted murder. I don't know that I think that him spending his whole life in jail makes sense. I think he should have gotten, you know, 20 years or something. He wrote a letter to the judge that said, I understand what I've done is terrible, blah, blah, blah. They always do. But he said, I have had my youth and I know you're going to take away my middle years. Please leave me my old age. And that feels fair to me. He's not, there are serial killers right now who are up for parole. Kemper could get parole. Manson could get parole. Ross Ulbricht, who never actually killed anyone, can't get parole. I know Manson didn't actually kill anyone, but Kemper did. Mm -hmm. Kemper could get parole. Ross Ulbricht can't. Right. Um, and that, to me, is a failure of our justice system. That is not an argument for letting the feckless wonder out of jail. I think he should get a lot of time for what he did. But in the next 20 or 30 years, 40 years... I think he absolutely could have a change of heart. I think he should at least have the opportunity to make that case to a parole board. Now, he doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to get parole, but I think he should have the opportunity. If fucking Kemper does, Ross should. I mean, you know, and to me, it's just as effective to keep him in there for all time as to let him out when he's 80. Like, if he survives that long on prison food and prison sex. <laughs> have at it, Brett. Limp your ass on out the gate. A uh, quick note before we end on the downfall of Carl Danger Wiener knob force this is how he was caught oh okay quote in one instance the fbi had found a message on the silk road servers that had been sent to the dread pirate roberts from one of his alleged informants who was a mole inside the government the plant went by the name french made and had been selling secrets to dpr for a hefty fee hmm. but as the fbi started to look further they noticed that one of the messages sent from french made to dpr was bizarrely signed carl <laughs> And then another message sent shortly afterward provided a clarification. Quote, I am sorry about that. My name is Carla Sophia, and I have many boyfriends and girlfriends on the marketplace. <laughs> that is so, so feeble. <laughs> Good God, man. I lied better than that when I was six. Come on, bro. Carl and Sean, by the way. Carl Dangerweiner, Knob Force, and Sean Bridges. We don't have a good one we don't for have him. A will be released next year. Oh, good. So there's your justice. justice. <laughs> Jesus. That's all I got. That was woo. That was lousy. So that is 91 in the bag, bro. Yeah. Holy crap. We are creeping up on this 100th episode. Yeah, we're still looking for input for the 100th episode. A couple people have sent some ideas. Definitely going to do some kind of uh, listener feedback thing. Yeah. and then, But any other ideas that you guys have, we're definitely still open to making this kind of a creative, fun 100th episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More Instagram, more Discord, all of the things. Let us know, and we will put all the ideas into a blender and come out with something horrifying, but we'll make you drink it, <laughs> and that will be awesome. So <laughs> it will be the worst of all the possible Episodes. iterations of your ideas. Yes. <laughs> we will only find the worst parts of your ideas, and those are what we'll keep. So, uh, as per usual, and forever after. Knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated.